0: Hey, Springsteen fans, and welcome back to Springsteen Time 70, the podcast that counts down 70 of Springsteen's greatest songs of all time, leading up to his 70th birthday. Today, we're counting down songs number 40 to number 31, and I am joined by a great man named Tris McCall, a New Jersey native, uh, a fixture in the Hudson County indie music scene forever. Um, If you frequent Jersey City or Hoboken, uh, you might see him walking around or riding his bike. And uh, to boot, he was the uh, Star-Ledger music critic for four and a half years. He was the guy who wrote about Springsteen before I did here uh, sometimes. So Tris, uh, as one of the great music writers that I have ever come to know, thank you for coming to here on a rainy day and riding your bike in the rain well, through you. the storm to get here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, um, so... Let's just start off, Tris, with just a little bit of background on you. On you, uh, so you grew up listening to Springsteen. Being being a New Jersey guy, what uh, w- what is one random Springsteen memory that you have growing up with him being? The oh, boss? I remember
1: riding my bike back from the Milburn Record Mill in Milburn, New Jersey. Wow, with a copy of Born in the USA uh, on my handlebars. Learn, <laughs> I, I hadn't heard any of the songs, but trying to memorize the lyrics before I really? oh bought a cassette. I bought a cassette copy, and I remember. Um, you know, I was I was a kid. I was probably 11 years old, and uh, I was going through the lyrics and trying to memorize it so that by the time I pressed play on, mm-hmm. the cassette, uh, on my cassette deck, I would already have a sense of what the album was about. And, and did you accomplish that? No. 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 I yeah, that's, that's a it. hard one.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, Tris, we're going to go through some great songs. Uh, some of my personal favorites are in this uh, chunk today, and uh, then at the end, I'll give you a trivia question, which you may or may not know. We'll see. Uh, and so let's kick it off with number 40, uh, a song from a very pivotal point in Springsteen's career.
2: Kid long, size, holding and kitty's black, too. She left to marry some top cat. Yeah. Ain't the cold, truth. there's been a tally since Sally left the alley. Since kitty left the big thing, pretty things, I got
0: All right, so that was Kitty's Back from Wild Innocent East Street Shuffle, 1973. That's number 40 on our list, and that is maybe the closest thing Springsteen's ever done to a, a real sort of free-form form jazz kind of song, especially the way that it plays live. When it plays live, it goes on for well over 10 minutes, usually. It's only seven on the record, but uh, the story about this, and then, Tris, I'd love to hear what you have to say about it... Um, the the kitty's back. That the name of the song came from Springsteen driving past a strip club on Route Thirty Three in New Jersey, which is a for those people not from New Jersey, Route Thirty Three is a pretty main road that runs through like Monmouth County into Mercer County, like the middle of the state, and runs through Freehold. And uh, there was a, a strip club welcoming a dancer back to their stage named Kitty. Um, so <laughs> there's a lot to love about this song. The the, the uh, instrumentation is amazing, um, and I have more on that. But Tris as as a fellow musician who could obviously, uh, compose something just like this yourself. Um, what, what do you think about Kitty's Back?
1: I, I, almost hesitate to single out songs from Wild Innocent and the East Street Shuffle because I feel like it works so wonderfully well as an album. It's my second favorite Springsteen album. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, it's, it's, I think it's a landmark record for a bunch of reasons, but what it does to you is it plunges you into this world of characters. Uh, you know, not just on Katie's back, but on all the other songs on that record, uh, you know, Spanish Johnny, yeah. Rosalita, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, these are larger-than-life characters. They're romantic with a capital R. And you can tell that it's all coming from this amazing imagination. It's just like you said. He mm-hmm. was. It, it's completely believable. He was driving down the highway, mm-hmm. and he saw Kitty's back. <laughs> and he's filing away all these Jersey memories mm-hmm. in his brain, and, and he's tapping into this. Right. I'm, I mean, we know there's probably no real Sp- uh, Spanish John. Yeah. We know there's probably no real Kitty. But there were probably real people in his life who he was thinking of. And sure. it's this explosion of... If you imagine Springsteen as a guy who's been packing a lot of Jersey minutiae and all kinds of other minutia in his <laughs> brain for as long as he lived, up to the point where he did this record, it's like a volcanic eruption of all of this stuff comes out at once, and you just stand there and you watch it. And it's an album that you're just kind of in awe of how much, how rich it is, and how deep those narratives are, and how it kind of sweeps you away. And you don't really believe in it necessarily as a thing that's that's true, and you don't want to believe in it. <laughs> it takes it's a it's a private universe. It's something that very few musicians are ever able to do i think ricky lee jones kind of did it on her first record Mm -hmm. uh and other people who have attempted to do it haven't done it as well it's an album that i think is in many ways incomparable i i love that record and i love this song just like you said it it's kind of unique in his catalog because it does it it does have jazz overtones the it's expressive possibilities for the musicians who play on it are very very wide and every time you hear it played it's a little different it's one of those springsteen songs that changes a lot over the years Mm -hmm. and uh yeah, I I love it. I'm, I love everything on that album.
0: Yeah, yeah that that uh that might be number two for me as well. Uh, after, um, I guess I'm like the basic Springsteen fan who Born to Run is my personal favorite. Um, but well, what's your personal favorite? Born in the U.S.A. Okay, good. Yeah the the ultimate pop album.
1: I know that yeah. Born in the U.S.A. I know that that's not a. Uh, in a way, I mean it was a. It was an enormously successful record. Sure. So it's not an idiosyncratic pick. Mm-hmm. But it's, uh, I know that it's a lot of Springsteen fans don't think that. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about that later, but I yeah. love Born in the USA. Yep. To me, that is the, to me, that was the pinnacle. And it, was, uh, it, it wasn't the first Springsteen album that I got into because I knew a lot of other stuff when I was a kid. But it was the one that made the most immediate sense to me. And it's the one that keeps reverberating for me as I get older and older.
0: Right. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people uh, probably feel the same way. Um, and two two little things on Kitty's back, two interesting little Bobby fun facts on these. Um, the first one taken from uh, Brian Hyatt's book, which I reference pretty much every episode, the, the song was uh, recorded right after he got back from opening for Chicago, which apparently didn't go so well. Uh, people uh, weren't really responding to him uh, opening for them. Like The Chicago crowd was not becoming the Springsteen crowd, uh, which... Frustrated him, as you could imagine. Um, and it's worth wondering whether the what Chicago was doing at that point in 73, they were still very much like a a jazz rock jam oh. band with pop elements. And if that informed the recording of Kitty's Back at all. I could hear that. Yeah. yeah. And the, the one other thing is uh, normally the organ playing at this time was done by Danny Federici um david sanchez yeah D- david sanchez r- r- rips the solo on this he uh, is so great. yeah and at this time he was like 18 and his playing uh sort of really helps define the first two springsteen albums in a way that i think a lot of people don't uh, normally give credit to so dave sanchez good job um all right on to number 39 which is a uh an outtake from about uh, 15 years later
2: Tonight I'm taking requests here in the kitchen. This one's for you, Ma. Let me come right out and say it. It's overdue. But baby, if you're looking for a sad song, well, I ain't gonna play it. Come on now.
0: All right, so that's The Wish, uh, an outtake off of Tunnel of Love. Uh, most people heard it first in 1998 off of *Tracks*, um, the big box set of outtakes from a bunch of different eras. That's number 39 on our list. And this is Springsteen's Ode to His Mom. Uh, there's a million songs specifically about, uh, about his relationship with his father or something about his, his dad, um, but this is the one about his mom, Adele, who is still with us. She is 90. Ooh, two or three I think something like and that concerts. yeah, yeah and, she, and she still comes to the concerts and this uh, as a personal note as I'm gearing up to uh, actually get married next year and I'm thinking of what what's going to be the mother-son dance <laughs> the, the, when listening to this one I'm like huh maybe the, maybe this is it because the uh, the whole thing about like let like we'll go out and dance and the story of him getting his first guitar and him being in the kitchen sort of holding court and being like this one's for you ma like that's that's such a good moment. And uh, for uh, Springsteen on Broadway, uh, The Wish was included. I think a lot of people might have rekindled their love for the song uh, if they saw Springsteen on Broadway or watched it on Netflix.
1: I'm, a, I'm eh about this. Okay. Movie. I feel like Springsteen, I feel like it's a waste of Springsteen's world historical talent, which I really think is there, mm-hmm. uh, for him to do autobiography. Um, I think that autobiography is really for lesser writers, just in general. Memoir type of stuff is not... Springsteen's superpower, if you want to put it that way, uh, is his unbelievable imagination. That he's able to create characters that have really nothing to do with Bruce Springsteen, the guy, and bring them to life. Now, of course, he packs a lot of details from his own life into those characters, because how could you not? I mean, that's the way that you write. It's the way everybody writes, but... Springsteen Mm -hmm. uh, is great... At, and one of the many ways that, his, that that incredible imagination manifests is by making these people up and making them really come to life. Uh, other ways that it manifests is the way that he writes his songs. So many different genres collide mm-hmm. uh, as a band leader. But I think the fundamental way that it manifests is state trooper, highway patrolman, stuff where right. he is... I mean, he's no state trooper. He's no highway patrolman. Yeah. <laughs> he, and he actually addresses that in that Broadway show. He's mm-hmm. I'm not a never worked in a factory but he's able to make up these 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 characters uh, so i think that when he sings about himself it's cool yeah. but <laughs> it's not what i want out of Bruce Springsteen because i know what he can do now it's enjoyable like a lot of tracks is, a lot of the songs and tracks are really enjoyable mm-hmm. they're enjoyable because they add extra dimensions to the character Bruce Springsteen that he's created over the over 40 years plus of performing mm-hmm But I think that Bruce Springsteen is fundamentally an album artist, and his ideas are best apprehended over albums. And I think another thing that he does very well is he's a very good judge of his own material. So all this stuff, even something like Thundercrack, which is, I think, a great song. Oh, yeah. um, Thundercrack was left off of Wild, the Innocent, and the Street Shuffle. And I think he knew it doesn't really go. It doesn't really fit. And I think that the songs that are left off, though they're really fun to get into those those treasure boxes, Mm -hmm. uh, especially if you're a big fan. He wrote albums and yeah. the albums hang together so beautifully. Right, uh, right. That I like The Wish, but I wouldn't put it on a list of 70.
0: Okay. <laughs> good. All right. So it's a song that I might dance to at my wedding. It's a song that Tris hates, apparently. No, I don't. No, I know. I know. I, know. I know. No, there is a song yeah. on this list that I don't like. Okay. So G- good. Good. Yeah. I cannot wait to hear about it. Uh, one more little note on that. Uh, the song was recorded at his uh, home studio in Cold Snack in 1987 and uh, the track features uh, Springsteen it plays vocals, g- guitar, bass, keyboards and percussion on this but Springsteen actually brought in a uh, session drummer by the name of Gary Malibur, uh, a guy who played with Eddie Money Steve Miller, Van Morrison, a bunch of others uh, he was just this prolific session drummer and maybe he's listening, who knows yeah. um, okay, <laughs> on to number 38 which is a song that uh, you one of the many songs that you just mentioned
2: New Jersey back Riding on a way tonight the refineries glow Out where the great black river's flow. License registration I ain't got none But I gotta clear
0: all right, so that was uh, State Trooper uh, off in of Nebraska, 1982, number 38 on our list. And a. Uh, I, it's funny, Tris, because today I was driving to work on the Garden State Parkway, not the Turnpike, but the other gigantic highway in New Jersey. And uh, as I was listening to State Trooper, I drove past, you guessed it, a state trooper and I was going a little bit fast. And luckily he was on the express side and couldn't have pulled me over if he wanted to. Um, So this, this song, it's one of the weirder ones probably on the list. And I love it for that. Uh, the just sort of hypnotic guitar chug on it. And just like everyone has had that moment of driving on the highway at night and there's no one around and you just feel like you're the, you, you're the last person on earth. Yeah. And in New Jersey, it does not feel like that very often. You are living in Hudson County. You get that very rarely, I'm sure. But we do have the Great Black Rivers. Yeah. <laughs> where the Great Black Rivers flow, yes. Yeah, um, <laughs> exactly. So the, uh, the, this has always been a personal favorite and one of the sort of perfect weird tracks off Nebraska that I'm glad was not an outtake that he held on to for like 20 years or something.
1: I can't imagine that there are 37 songs better than State Trooper by Bruce Springsteen or by anybody. Okay. This is one of the best songs I've ever heard in my life.
0: Interesting. Yeah.
1: Uh, the song is, everything about the song is designed to, to lodge in your brain mm-hmm. and nag at you for as long as you live. <laughs> I've never ridden on the turnpike uh-huh. at any time. And not thought about state trooper. Right. Everything. Everything about this song is designed to get under your skin and stick with you. The narrative. What the heck is going on? What is the thing that he's got? To, that he's done? He's got a clear conscience about the thing that he's done. Mm-hmm. The performance, the reverb on his voice, but also the performance that he does. Ridden by furies. He's nagged by something. There's something on his mind. Uh, uh, he he really channels this character. Right. The way that the. Riff the, the blues riff dun, 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 mm-hmm. dun, dun, dun. just will not tug into modulate. It won't be. It won't modulate. Right. It stays on this riff, and you think it's going to modulate, but then it doesn't. The way that the song calls back to other songs on Nebraska, mm-hmm. the the, in the wee wee hours, your mind gets hazy. Yeah, the way that it echoes other songs, the way that it fits in with that record, with, with the rest of the songs on the record, everything about the song is absolutely perfect. The lyric is fantastic. It gets you there. Mm-hmm. It gets you on the turnpike on a rainy night. Yeah, you see the rivers. You feel the car. You wonder what the heck is going on. What is the relationship with the wife? Right. I've been thinking about State Trooper since yeah. I heard it in, in. It's been 1982.
0: Yeah, I've never heard such adoration for the song, and it and it's refreshing because I've I've always really enjoyed it, but your description just makes me love it even more. Um, and I yeah, I think that it mirrors even just like the the photograph on the on the cover of Nebraska, like the yeah. isolation and the like emotional isolation that uh, that comes along with that entire album? Everything about Nebraska is perfectly
1: assembled. Mm-hmm. Bruce Springsteen was really, uh, he was in the zone at this point, and everything mm-hmm. was put together perfectly. Every song shakes hands with every other song, and this is the dark heart of that album. Oh, this yeah. is the song where you really face-to-face with the desolation of these characters who feel like they're going nowhere on a turnpike to nowhere, and they've done something, and they might say they have a clear conscience, but you know damn well from the performance that he's doing, he is, by, he is nagged by something. And then you're nagged. Right. <laughs> right. And, and uh, you know, a lot of people like songs that make them feel good. I like songs that, that, that trouble me. Yeah, that make you feel bad. Yeah, that make, yeah, make me feel bad, that trouble yeah. me.
0: I, I feel like that's the thing I really want. Yeah. Well, if, if you want a song to make you feel unsettled and uncomfortable, by Bruce Springsteen, State Troopers, probably the song. Um, Okay, moving on to number 37, which is a song that is almost exactly the opposite. It's like the perfect foil to State Trooper. And uh, his first top 10 pop hit. All right, so, of course, that is Hungry Heart from The River, 1980, number 37 on our list. And uh, the the story of this song is one that a lot of people know, but for those who don't, this song began in March of 1979. Springsteen was in Asbury Park, and he was sing, seeing a, a little band called The Ramones were playing at uh, the Fast Lane in Asbury Park, a venue that no longer exists. And uh, afterwards, he was hanging out with Joey Ramone, who asked him to uh, to write a song for them. He went home, wrote "Hungry Heart," but unlike "Because of the Night" and uh, "Blinded by the Light" and other songs, Springsteen did not give this away to someone who would go on and make it more famous themselves. Uh, John Landau, his manager, longtime manager, urged him to keep to hold on to it, and uh, the the rest the rest is history. Uh, the other thing that some people don't no, is that they uh, they sped up the like the production people they sped up the recording. That's why Springsteen's voice sounds a little bit higher. This was the the first single that really made him a good chunk of money because at this point he'd already redone his contract uh, after that big lawsuit against Mike Appel. Yeah, "Hungry Heart" gigantic song, and uh, there's some other fun stuff. But Trist, do you are you the contrarian who like? hates this one because
1: everyone else loves it no no i like (laughs) it a lot um it was the first springsteen song that i was ever uh really conscious of uh and i didn't you know when you're a little kid you don't know what you're listening to really but you know there there are popular songs and it was a song that was on the radio and i remember even before i knew springsteen the song kind of scared me because Mm -hmm. the first verse is so powerful and so succinct and he was really sharpening his lyrical focus to get where i thought where he was going which was Nebraska Tunnel of Love, Born in the USA, where every line was so pregnant with meaning, Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think the first verse of this song is the same way. And when I heard, and I was conscious of, you know, my extended family, there were there were divorces, there were there was trouble, Mm -hmm. and the idea I got a wife and kids in Baltimore. Jack went out for a ride, and I never came back. And I remember being a little kid and having that hit me, and think thinking to myself, you know, just. Just the plausibility of that—the right. <laughs> idea that like somebody could do that—like like, wait, a ri- what? Right? Yeah, <laughs> like, like a river that don't know where it, where it's, where it's flowing, it took a wrong turn, and, and I kept and on just going. kept going. Just imagining some of the male figures in my family doing mm-hmm. something like that, and just being just waking up to that, I kind of felt like, as a you know, as a as a way preteen, uh-huh. uh, that got under my skin. Just just a beautiful verse. Um, I love this song. I've 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 always liked "Hungry
0: Heart." Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's always a fan favorite. As as soon as that the uh, it's one of those songs that it has such a recognizable sort of aesthetic. As soon as the piano hits, everyone knows what it is Uh immediately. Um, And my fun fact on this one: Did you know? Do do you know who sings a backup vocal on this? No, it's uh, Mark Volman and Howard Kalin from uh, Uh the. The Turtles uh so happy together. I didn't know that. Yeah.
1: That kind of makes sense because it's such a 60s pop. Yeah. So much of what he did was rooted in, in 60s pop yeah. and r And uh mm-hmm. so you don't yeah. necessarily think of the turtles first. You, uh-huh. you might think of like The Animals or, or Chuck Berry as big influences on, right. on Springsteen. But like you can hear it on this song because and some of his best latter-day songs are very 60s pop sounding Girls in Their Summer Clothes is a very 60s pop oh, sounding sure. song. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And yeah, I think in uh I wasn't around in 1980, but I would imagine this song sounding like sort of a, a retro-y kind, yeah. of, kind of song. The way that now there's so many pop pop songs that have that 80s synth kind of vibe that is familiar to people and they love it not even knowing why they love it because it's familiar to like the back of their brain. Totally. Yeah. Um, all right. So that was Hungry Heart. Moving on to uh, number 36, which is a cut off of Tunnel of Love.
2: So somebody ran out. Left somebody's heart in a mess Well, if you're looking for love On the eye, i tougher than the rest Some girls, they want a handsome day Or some good look.
0: All right, so that was uh tougher than the rest uh from Tunnel of Love 1987, number 36 on our list. And uh this is the second song off of Tunnel of Love and it's so much about like the man of the house. Like th- this was a big transition for Springsteen that this was the first album that had come out after he'd been married and it was starting to settle down. He was around 37 years old when he when this came out. And uh, th- this is a great and interesting song about sort of marital relationships and, and getting into a new relationship This sort of was leading into when he would uh, meet up with Patti uh of people who had been in relationships that had failed and then coming together and being ready to take on the world together, but knowing that things aren't always easy.
1: I, I love this song. Uh, this would be in my top 10 Springsteen songs. Okay. Um, in fact, it was almost painful when, when, you, when you stopped it. Okay when you yeah. cut it off I was like, "Oh uh, I want to hear more of it all right we'll play um, we'll
0: play more later for you
1: the uh uh t- and I agree with you Tunnel of love is a little is strangely underrated mm-hmm. even though it was a big hit album sure um, it was uh, i think it, it has a lot of the romantic themes from Darkness and the river, but from a much written from a much more mature perspective mm hmm and I think there are two just drop dead, stop you in the track, your tracks songs on that album. Well, the there's brilliant disguise, yeah. which is a just a fantastic, which I'm sure is on this list. Oh, it's, somewhere. it's coming up, uh, not today, but another one, yeah. Uh, which is similar to uh, tougher than the rest. They're mm-hmm. both incredible songs, character songs. Um, Springsteen is definitely not the narrator of this song. This is a this is a guy who's kind of selling himself short in a way. Right, he's saying he's he's giving he's saying he can't measure up to these other guys but he's trying to he's trying to come for it's a come on uh it's a very strange sideways come on because he's acknowledging that other people may have outpaced him but he has these other virtues and he's trying to make these manifest right. to a woman in this in this kind of working class setting and he really he really puts you there part of it is that the the production on this song is fantastic mm-hmm. um all the synth stuff is gorgeous uh as always the drums are just rock solid, mm-hmm. and his performance—he gets into the character like a like a Broadway actor, right? Character,
0: right? He should go. He should try Broadway. He should try. Um, Broadway. <laughs> so, well, one thing about the drums—it's interesting you brought that up because uh, so this album, a lot of even though he recorded some things elsewhere, a lot of it it was sort of like a home production. He had a uh, a recording studio essentially built uh, on his on his property in in Rumson when he still had a house in Rumson. Which, if you're not from New Jersey, Colts Neck and Rumson are about t- twenty minutes, a half hour from each other in Monmouth County. Anyway, um, the the drums on that, a lot of it is from the the thing that everyone used in the '80s, the uh, the the drum mm-hmm. uh, drum machine. Yeah. But uh, but then uh, Max Weinberg did come in to play like a few like snare parts and. and things. And you know
1: when that's done, it's always, uh, especially on pop records, it's always so wonderful. Mm-hmm. Pro tip, kids: <laughs> if you've got a great drum machine put down the drum machine track and then get a great drummer to come in and play with the drum machine track. It always sounds great. Yeah. And this is a perfect example of that because the drum machine track will really, really impart a tremendous amount of character. And here the character is kind of a working class character. And then the, the drummer who's intelligent can add all of this other stuff and add, right. add kind of a human element to it. And uh, this is a great, uh, so much of the, on born in the USA and, and, uh, and tunnel of love. A lot of diehard Springsteen fans don't love the production because they right. feel like there's too much synthesizer, there's too much machine beats, there's not enough of what they associate with Springsteen Born to Run. Mm-hmm. And it's probably where I'm most at variance with Springsteen Nation right. because <laughs> I think that the production on these two albums, that he really found a sound mm-hmm. that suits the sentiment. And he did it by scooping out so much of that mid-range stuff that was competing with the storytelling. Right. You really get these characters on those albums. And... Uh, I think that a lot of what the professor did mm-hmm. on Born in the USA is fantastic because right. it's so moody oh, and yeah. so cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I'm on Fire it's, uh, or, you know, or the song Born in the USA. There's so much cool stuff that's done with synthesizers on those records. Uh, I think he, he fully internalized the lessons of the new wave and it's one of the things about Springsteen that people don't give him an, quite enough credit for, that he, he heard that stuff on the radio and he was like, this will suit me if mm-hmm. I set it up properly. Right. I think they—they they did on both those albums.
0: Yeah, definitely, and uh, it's probably worth noting that for people who assume that uh, the professor Roy Bittan played uh, played synth on this song, Springsteen actually did the synth on this one himself. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, but you're you're, cor- you're correct in uh, saying that Roy Bittan did do the synth for uh, for Born in the USA and. Uh, I'm on fire.
1: Yeah, a lot of the stuff on, on Born in the USA, I know he played. But Springsteen, good job by Springsteen doing that. That's a really, that cool bass synth sound yeah. always gets me.
0: <laughs> wah, 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 always wah, always wah, drags wah. me in, yeah. Yeah. Okay, on to number 35, uh, a song that has zero synth.
2: Rising above the factories and the fields Ever since I was a child That
0: That was uh, Mansion on the Hill, number 35 on our list, and a popular cut off of Nebraska, 1982. This is another one about Springsteen's relationship with his father, and this this is kind of a more sentimental one uh, about uh driving around with his dad. His, the story goes that his dad would sort of put everybody in the car and they would go sort of sightseeing in their own uh in, in their own town and look at like all like the fancy houses in Freehold and like the surrounding areas. Because where Springsteen grew up, uh which I've talked about, uh d- was not the best area of Freehold. Uh people might think of it as just like traditional suburban cul-de-sac, New Jersey. It sort of was, but having gone to to those houses, like they They're not the best neighborhoods, like they they were working class sort of rundown neighborhoods, people just trying to get by um, but the and then he mentions a uh, l Linden town in this, which I assume is about Linden, New Jersey, right off the turnpike. uh If you ever drive past a giant uh refinery factory with a with a really bad smell, that's Linden. Um and this reminds me of Hank Williams because Hank Williams has a song that's called basically the same thing, yeah.
1: Yeah, he must have been thinking of the Hank Williams yeah.
0: when he wrote this because it's a similar thing.
1: Uh, I like this song a lot. I don't like it as much as I like State Trooper or some of the other stuff mm-hmm. in Nebraska, but it is definitely such a compelling uh, listen. It's really stark. Uh, his performance somehow it cuts through the lo-fi production and is really searing. Despite the fact that it, maybe he's not using state-of-the-art equipment to do it, it sounds like a demo. It just sounds like one man down in his luck in his basement or in his yeah. attic. And he's. Th- <laughs> I mean, the song's a, it, It's about class in America and uh, something that Springsteen's written about a lot. So, you know, it's. It, it works very well in an album where he, where the focus on his themes is really,
0: laser sharp. I mean, he, there's not yeah. a wasted line on that whole album. So let's keep it moving and uh, go to number 34, which uh, really ushered in kind of a new era. This is number 34.
2: Dressed snakes snakeskin suits packed with Detroit muscle. The are the East Street Shuffle. Now those East Street brats and twilight don't flash like fanny.
0: All right, so that was uh, the East Street Shuffle off of uh, Wild Innocent East Street Shuffle, 1973, number 34 on our list. And uh, if you listened to Greetings and you came and, and w- went and listened to, to Wild right after, oh. you would have been like, "Is this is this the same yeah. band?" Um, because th- this was such a big jump from what he was doing on Greetings in a lot of ways. And th- this was the first big sort of big band composition. And I mean, it's a little busy, I think. Um, with the way that it is, and I'm actually curious because because I know, Triss, you play a lot of uh, keyboards and piano, adjacent instruments. Have you ever played a clavinet before? Oh yeah, yeah. I use I use clavinet a bunch. Okay, and, uh,
1: it's a great sound. It's yeah. a really cool sound. and Work It's on a on very seventies sound. Like yeah. I think, you know, I think people associated with funk in the seventies, but mm-hmm. uh, it's a very cool. It's got this great bounce to it. Right. Very precise. Yeah. Every note. You no. Know, hits you know that it, you know that it's there it's not blurry yeah. it's not dream pop it's a wake pop yeah a wake pop I yeah, like that. that's my style yeah um yeah no i love this song and just like everything else on the record it's a great intro to a record where like i said there's a landslide of ideas musical ideas lyrical ideas poetic ideas and it must have been really shocking for fans oh sure to hear this at the time and be like whoa this guy who was doing these this villain-esque poetry yeah now suddenly hitting you with this explosive but of course he was used to that yeah a yeah a lot
0: of live shows yeah and uh the yeah they're like oh I guess he's an R&B and b yeah. singer now in Brian Hyatt's book he uh, makes a great comparison to uh Major Lance and and Curtis Mayfield's uh The Monkey Time mm-hmm. and sort of like a song that sort of it's, I can hear that yeah wants to create a dance but the East Street Shuffle was really just like I don't know, just moving around on the boardwalk or something yeah. I don't know <laughs>
1: It's, it's almost insulting to Springsteen to say that to compare it to Broadway in a way because it was his own musical language, it was his own vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And yes, there was a lot of West Side story in it, and there sure. was a lot of stuff from you know, you could hear the Leonard Bernstein, you could hear the soundtracks, but it was his own imagination
0: really uh, exploding. It was just a landslide of ideas, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, me and uh, Tris McCall, if anybody just like tuned in randomly, I'm talking to to uh, Tris McCall, a uh, great New Jersey uh, indie rock stalwart and former uh, Star Ledger music critic, um, and so we're going to move on to number thirty-three, which is uh, sort of the not the one that uh, that got away, but the one that he gave away. Come on. Okay. That was number 33 because the night, uh, from the darkness era, which was a song that Springsteen famously, uh, gifted to Patti Smith, fellow New Jerseyan, Um, and she went on and it became the biggest hit of her career and, uh, cracked the, I think it hit number 13, which was higher than anything that Springsteen had done to that point ever got on the chart. Um, and the story, the story about this, which, I. Uh, Which I don't know if everyone knows Uh, Jimmy Iovine, the the famous producer uh, who you might have seen on American Idol in recent years. uh, He was engineering on Darkness. He was one of the like an assistant engineer, and he knew Patty Smith, and he was the one that sort of bugged her over and over and over to listen to the to this cut that Springsteen had done, and then she finally begrudgingly listened to it, and then loved it immediately, and wrote all her own lyrics that same night, and then Springsteen went on to, to uh, eventually record this as an outtake uh, and put it on The Promise in 2010 as the official recording. But he's played it live forever.
1: I, I would have given it away, too. I, I don't like this song. Okay, I never have. Um, really? He rhymes Why? Understand with Hand several times. Uh-huh. Yeah, because the night belongs to lovers, because the night belongs to us. It's, it's like... <sighs> Is it too schmaltzy for you? No, it's not. I mean, I love schmaltzy songs, but I don't like is the kind of the the very obvious end rhymes and the feeling that anybody could have anybody in the 70s could have written this song. Mm-hmm. The chord progression is kind of basic. It doesn't do anything all that interesting. It's got that really kind of cool build up before the chorus, but then I think the chorus always kind of leaves me cold. It gets yeah. people going, mm-hmm. and uh I guess I understand why it was a hit. I I think the Patti Smith version is Kind of cool. I don't know. I don't yeah. Know if I really like it. I don't know. i've okay. never I've never liked this one. This one. This one has always been. When Springsteen does this one live, I'm like, okay, this will be over, and then something. Yeah. Will happen. This. <laughs> I, Interesting. I, I, I never. I feel like for a guy who who has the capacity to pack so much into single lines and have every phrase be a powerhouse, there is a certain slackness to the lyric. Of this song that has always felt unSpringsteen-y to me and i always felt like maybe he was thinking of van morrison and times when van morrison was a little slack but what i found with van the man is that even when you think he's slack when you look at him closely he's actually not slack it's like his lyrics right. are actually even the, the songs that are kind that kind of seem like they're hippy dippy aren't really hippy dippy they're, yeah. <laughs> they're they're tighter than you think they are and yeah like, so i don't i'm i'm not sure but it never felt like Springsteen canon to me this one so, right, right, so I was right. never that into okay. it
0: okay that's fa- it. fair enough on the record you, you d- dislike Because the Night yeah. that's fine and just one more note when Springsteen recorded this for The Promise uh, he used Patti Smith's lyrics not the original ones that he had written he recorded the, a new vocal at the time and then uh, put that over an old E Street version of it from the 70s so
1: it was a new vocal old instrument so whose, whose lyrics are that I don't like are they Patty Patti Smith? Smith's lyrics? Are they yeah. Patty Smith's yeah. lyrics? All right, because I love—I yeah. mean, I love a lot of Patty Smith's lyrics. I mean, sure. yeah, she she wrote some great lyrics. Yeah, but um, maybe that's what it is. Maybe okay. I felt maybe maybe my beef is with Patty Smith. Yeah, not maybe. With Springsteen. But I feel like when he plays the song live, mm-hmm. he sings the Patty Smith lyrics. Yeah, it's because um, it's what everyone knows. It's what everybody knows. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, on to our penultimate song of the episode, uh, one that usually involves a lot of Springsteen screaming beforehand. Uh, and uh, but once it kicks in, it's a huge fan favorite and uh, maybe my personal favorite off of uh, "Greetings from Asbury Park."
2: Um.
0: All right, that's Spirit in the Night, number 32 on our list, and from Greetings from Asbury Park, New Jersey, 1973, and uh, this was, along with Blinded by the Light, a song that Springsteen wrote after uh, Clive Davis said that they needed more like full band songs on his debut album, uh, and it's the Crazy Janie is uh, supposedly about Diane Lozito, the same person that Rosalita's about, and some other songs, uh, and... Uh, I've driven on Route 88 plenty through like brick-ish Lakewood-ish area in Ocean County, and uh, which is next to Monmouth County near Freehold, and I have not found a Greasy Lake <laughs> yet.
1: Uh, but if you were have heard this song um, and you didn't know anything about the artist, and you were hearing this for the first time, you'd be like, "Wow, we really have something special here," because no one has had ever exactly written like this before you have this concept spirit in the night right Mm -hmm. so it's it's a spiritual concept but you have this this overwhelming these overwhelming number of earthy metaphors not just greasy lake but they're you know they're making love in the dirt right she's got her fingers in the cake it's all of this stuff (laughs) that's really tactile and it's and 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 it's greasy i mean it really feels that way and yet there is something transcendent and spiritual about it and I and I know I just mentioned Van Morrison mm-hmm. but he must have been thinking about Van Morrison Oh yeah, because Van did, did, used to do the same thing mm-hmm. it was this combination of sacred and profane and handling it the way that a poet would handle it
0: can you think of another artist someone that you love that you heard them the first time and, and you're like wow this is someone we're going to be hearing from for a long time. Well, I know, and then you did hear from them for a long
1: time. And then I, well, I was about to say, I know you're a fan of Phoebe Bridgers. Uh-huh. And I know Phoebe Bridgers is, I mean, I hear a lot of Springsteen in her stuff. Yeah, I heard uh, her,
0: she covered Springsteen when I, caught, when I saw her. Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: Uh, I mean, from, uh, from maybe the first song that I heard, I was like, this is a very distinctive voice. Mm-hmm. Liz Fair is an yeah. example of a, a songwriter. Who the first time that I heard, I was like, no one really writes like this. Jenny Lewis uh, writes in a way that mm-hmm. you know, nobody really writes like that. Uh, in hip hop, from the first Kanye verse I heard, I was like, this is a guy I'm going to be hearing from for a very, very long time. Right. Maybe too of, long, yeah. uh, because, <laughs> because of the, the use of language, because yeah. of the way that the stuff is put together, because of because no one because there's nobody out there mm-hmm. who's going to say it the way that he says it. Right. And. Ultimately, that's what you're looking for in a musician. You're looking for somebody who's going to say things, mm-hmm. both musically and also lyrically, that nobody else can do. Like no right. one else could write, no one else could write that.
0: Nobody else could have written "Spirit in the Night" but Springsteen. And I think you were with Springsteen from the very beginning. This is probably your introduction to Clarence Clemens uh-huh. and, the, and the saxophone. Yeah. Um, Clarence says that the first time he ever really jammed with Springsteen, it was uh, an early version of this song. In 1971, probably at the Student Prince, which is now—I'm uh, pretty sure—is now Porta, the, the pizza restaurant <laughs> in Asbury Park on Kingsley Street. So, Spirit in the Night, what's not to love? Talk about a sonic signature, right? Yeah. I mean,
1: Clarence Clemens, you know it's him. And there's been a million saxophone players, but mm. there's only one. There's, there was only one guy who ever sounded like that. Yeah. Uh, and there—and you can hear his antecedents, and there were many in the 50s and 60s. But he had a, it was just in his mouth and the mm. way that he played.
0: Yeah. He had his own thing completely. Um, All right, and we're going to finish this out with one more song, uh, number 31 on our list, which is a title track and a very, uh, very emotional title track at that. All right, so that was "Darkness on the Edge of Town," number thirty-one on our list from "Darkness on the Edge of Town," nineteen seventy-eight, and the the final track off of the album. This is just more another one of those sort of resilient, deeply impassioned darkness songs. This is another song that when you hear it, it just feels like Bruce couldn't wait to get back in the studio and be legally allowed to record this. Uh, there was a, like a ten-song demo. Uh, Tape that he brought in when they first started recording for this album. They call it like the Star Wars demo because they went to the studio right after the first Star Wars came out, Uh, and most of those songs didn't make the cut for for Darkness. uh, And he was very frustrated by that. But uh, the actual title track, Darkness on the Edge of Town, that we're talking about now, that did make the cut. Darkness is the album where, like, I I feel like it's good. You know, I I recall (laughs) that I.
1: around the time that there was the preppy handbook, there was another handbook that came out that was like the handbook for real men. Mm-hmm. And I remember there was a section about what music you would listen to if you were a real man. And it was like all this other stuff you might want to listen to. But if you're a real man, you listen to Bruce Springsteen and there was a this kind of <laughs> jokey caricature of like right. what a Springsteen song would be. And I kind of feel whenever I listen to darkness, which is probably the classic album that I return to the least frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that's really the version of Springsteen that they're caricaturing. Yeah. Because the male-female relationships on darkness are a little unenlightened. And I think you kind of you kind of see it on this song. You have a mm-hmm. kind of a and it's and it's a cliche, you know, like mm-hmm. the man has to ride. Yeah. And the woman is she's she's a domestic and she she's not gonna and they can't right. get together because he's a free bird. And I it's 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 a rock and roll cliche, and it's of course beautifully handled because he's mm-hmm. a great poet. But I do feel like when he got to Born in the USA, when he got to Tunnel of Love, when he got to Lucky Town, which is another very good album that I think sometimes gets overlooked, when he sat down and he wrote about men and women, he dispensed with a lot of what I feel is kind of boilerplate rock and roll stuff that you got on on Darkness and even to some degree on Born to Run. Um, although I do, you know, I I do love those albums every time I listen to them. They're mm-hmm. not to me. Where I think Springsteen really excelled, which I think happened in in the in the 80s.
0: Okay, interesting. Well, to anybody who, uh, their vision of darkness just was completely ruined. In in, <laughs> in three minutes, uh, I'm I'm sorry about that. But uh, no, I, the, it, no, look, it's, yeah. good. it's good. It's good. It's a great song, and
1: and all that stuff. I and mean, Racing in
0: the Streets, Adam Raised
1: yeah. There's so much that he's. I mean, he, uh, his the father and son and all that stuff. It's so male. Right. It's it's, it's such a and as. I mean, I never, I mean, I love Springsteen. I never wanted to be a real man. Uh, so I had to reconcile that for myself. But I imagine <laughs> if you, listener, are a real man, right. this might be the Springsteen album for you. So. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, we will leave it at that. Uh, and Tris, thank you so much. Uh, can Can you talk just for a second about uh about your your Almanac website and the, that whole project? Is that still going on? Well, oh, I have an album that's going to come out. Um, okay. I mean,
1: it's been in the works for about two years. And... If you do like Springsteen, I mean, I don't sound anything like Springsteen. I don't have the voice. I don't <laughs> yeah. have the attitude. I don't have the background. But I do do what Springsteen does, and that is I don't really sing about myself. I sing about characters. I invent these characters, and, mm-hmm. I've, and they're in different geographical places. Often New Jersey, right? Yeah, but, uh, in, but the thing that is going to come out came from traveling. Mm-hmm. Right, so I went right. all over the country, and when I went to a city, I would write a short story from the perspective of a character, and then I'd write a song. So the short story and the song are supposed to shake hands. So I have maybe about twenty or thirty songs like that. Ooh. And it may manifest as a as a double album. It cool. may manifest as a single album. But it's gonna be it's gonna be cool. It's gonna at least half of it is gonna be called Front Runner, and I think the other half is gonna be called uh The Unmapped Man.
0: Okay. Great. Well, Tris, thank you again. Everyone, Tris McCall. Uh if you if you love fun and smart indie pop and rock songs look him up and you can look up some of his writing too it's all over the internet and Trist let's close close out with a trivia question uh since you play a lot of different instruments this is an instrument related question uh the guitar that Springsteen played for more than 40 years and is featured on the Born to Run album cover what kind of uh what brand and make of instrument is that is it, it a
1: telecaster?
0: Oh uh, I was gonna give you I was gonna give you choices. Uh, it, does he play is it yeah playing? but it is but yes but you're, you're so good that you didn't even have to uh, need the choices yeah you if, know, I, a, a Fender Telecaster uh, sort of hybrid that uh, that he had I mean I can
1: visualize yeah. it yeah it doesn't, it doesn't look like a classic but it's, mm-hmm. it's the Springsteen guitar yeah I mean I think of Telecaster is when I think of Springsteen so
0: sure okay well Tris thank you again and thank you all for listening uh, have a great day week month whenever whatever period of time passes between this one and the next one Have a great one. Thank you, guys.